Acts 1, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. We are currently in our third week of our series in Acts. This series is going to last for a long time, so be prepared to be parked in it. Uh, just immerse yourself in it. Enjoy it. A lot of things happen, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. If you've missed a, ser- uh, a sermon, or if you do miss a sermon during this series, I highly recommend that you go online, that you watch it, you catch up, and that you just study up and make sure that you understand what happens before, because each passage or text that we, we're going to do or study each Sunday is highly connected with the other. So it just make more sense, right? You'll just be more prepared for it. So last week, Pastor Peter spoke on the replacing of Judas, right? Judas was the disciple who betrayed Jesus Christ. And he spoke on how the persistent prayer was so vital for God's people and is still so vital for God's people today. That we have a sovereign God, an almighty God, who is all-powerful in creation, but he won't force his people to obey and follow his will. In actuality, we as his people are called to collaborate with God in active obedience. That is what we're called to. He highlights Judas in this, in that Judas was with Jesus, but he actually wasn't with Jesus. And I would go even as far to say that Judas didn't really know who Jesus was. There was a lack of intimacy there in their relationship. And intimacy is actually going to play a big role in today's text. And it should play a big role in our daily lives too, this idea of spiritual intimacy. Scripture is quite clear that if you've been doing church for a really long time and God is still a stranger to you, then something's amiss. God wants to be known by his people. God wants to be known by you. God wants to be in intimate relationship with you. And where we stand on this, how we can test this, is ask ourselves this one question. Why do we pray, serve, and fast, if we do at all? Why do you pray, serve, and fast if you do it all? And the answer? It's simply because God's worth it. Because he's worth it. Because he's worthy of the time. He's worthy of the sacrifice. Because he's worth it. So today, I hope that we can wrestle with this idea of intimacy, right? We can wrestle with this idea of knowing him, his character, his word, and really combine it with this idea of what what does it mean to be a prophetic voice today? So let's bow our heads in prayer. And before we get into the text, before we get into the sermon, uh, I'd just like everyone to pray uh, to themselves, for themselves, and really speak to God. What does your relationship with God look like right now? If you could be honest. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to condemn you. Do you know him? Do you know his voice? Do you know his word? He's calling to you. Father, we need you, and we ask that your manifest presence be here today, that we would get to sit with you, God, be ministered by you, God, hear your word, God, worship you, God. Lord, would you speak through me? 
that there would be less of me and more of you. And Lord, you would be so glorified by what you see today, what you see your people doing today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to look at Acts 2, verses 1 to 21. Acts 2, 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will, dream, will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the blood to moon before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the word of God. Pentecost. Let's start here, because Pentecost is somewhat of a trigger word for some of us. Um, it's often associated with being Pentecostal, or the Pentecostal branch of the church. Right? This branch of the church was birthed out of the Azusa Street Revival about 100 years ago. Right? And that revival is essentially, um, it, it was in L.A. And what happened was there was just a lot of healings and worship in tongues. And all these miracles started taking place there. It lasted for over a week. Right? So the idea of tongues within the context of Pentecostalism is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. It means to pray or to worship in an incomprehensible language. In the context of this Pentecost passage, the one we're reading today, the idea of tongues is talking about languages that are understood, right? All different languages from different nations. So something supernatural is occurring in this scene. And some of us in this room when we hear about such things, may or may not think, man, this is kind of weird, right? This is a little creepy. This is a little uncomfortable for me. That's, that happens because the church is actually divided on what we see or, or what we call as charismatic spiritual gifting, right? There's one side, uh, which is called cessationism, which claims that gifts such as tongues, prophecy, and healing have ceased with the apostolic age. And then the other side, which is called continuationism, claims that no, the spiritual gifts that we read in the Bible are alive and a well today. They still occur. Now, where do I stand on this? I'm actually going to table this conversation for the end of the sermon because spiritual gifting has a purpose. Spiritual gifting uh, isn't just for gifting in itself, right? It's not spiritual pedigree. It's not spiritual hierarchy. It's not about God favoring you more or less because you have it or not, 
right? I, I've actually encountered people that covet spiritual gifts, right? They feel as though God has glossed over them, that God has forgotten them, that God doesn't listen to them as, as carefully because they are not spiritually gifted in the ways they want to be. They don't have his favor. And on the flip side, I've encountered people who have spiritual gifting or claim that they have spiritual gifting, and they're very prideful about it. They look down on people. They see it as a badge to wear and show off, which is ridiculous. Either one, ridiculous, right? Scripture is quite clear. We are all the body of Christ. We all take part in this. We all play a role, and we are all important, and we are all beautiful in this body. Paul is quite clear that spiritual gifting is useless without love. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The way I translate gong or clanging cymbal is I am annoying. I'm just really loud, right? Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This faith is nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Giftedness literally means nothing without love. Because love is the force in which God chooses to operate. Without love, you are not operating with God. So we'll talk more about that later. The actual word Pentecost, it means 50th, right? Penta. 50 days after Passover, right? They call this the Feast of 50. And this is actually setting the stage for us here in chapter 2 because this feast was a pilgrimage event for Jews all around the world, right? They, they, pil they took a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they all gathered there. They, this is exactly why we see so many different people in the city of Jerusalem right now, right? Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So if I could give you a visual, they're sitting inside of a home and they're praying together. And as they're praying, they experience wind and fire. Right? So you have to imagine, this is a very supernatural scenario that we're describing here. Right? Luke is really just trying to describe what's, what's occurring in this room. Right? Something like wind from heaven came down and blew violently. Something that seemed like tongues of fire came and separated and fell upon us. Right? This is a very supernatural scene. The theophany of wind and fire is often an indicator that God is powerfully present. So a theophany, that word means manifestation to humankind of God. That's a theophany, right? So God's manifest presence is in that place, right? That's why a lot of times you hear in songs or you hear people say, fire, fall down, right? Come like a rushing wind, Lord. It's biblical. Wind and fire. God is powerfully present in this house. And this idea of God's presence, we need to pause here and address this. Because as followers, we do believe that God is everywhere at all times. God is omnipresent. Right? God is everywhere at all times. But what we see here is what we call God's manifest presence. And if I could describe that or define that for you, it's essentially as we experience or as we interact with God, we, we understand that he's interacting with us. And it's these moments that we're so aware that God is with us, God is ministering to us, that our spirits are aware of what he's doing. And it's often in these moments 
that we find transformation. That God's manifest presence is upon you. And I need to let you know that many of you in this room have experienced God's manifest presence. It's not always wind and fire. Take Elijah, for example. Elijah was dealing with Jezebel, who was killing off all the prophets of God. Right? And if you know about Elijah's story, he challenges the prophets of Baal to like, a, like, a, like an altar off. Right? They have this competition. Right? And they're like, okay, we're going to have these two altars, and whoever, whose God lights the altar on fire is like the more superior God. Right? So Elijah calls out these 450 prophets and, you know, they're chanting and they're like cutting themselves. They're trying to get this, this altar to light up in flames. And Elijah's standing there and he's literally laughing at them. He's mocking them, right? And they fail. They can't do it. And if you read, Elijah takes water, he pours it on to his altar. He prays to God and boom, God lights this altar on fire, right? Elijah you would think that he's, you know, working like within God's manifest presence. But if you read a little bit further, Elijah reaches a breaking point in his ministry. Just the next chapter, he goes into hiding and he becomes suicidal. He's so defeated, he's burnt out. He prays to God to take his life. He doesn't want to do this anymore. God finds him. God speaks to him and says, Elijah, wait for my presence. Wait for my presence. So Elijah stands in this cave on this mountain, and God sends this wind. Right? And the wind is so powerful, it's shattering the rocks on this mountain. Right? If you can imagine, just this powerful wind comes, and all the rocks before him are just being shattered. But God's presence is not in that wind. And then an earthquake comes. And you can only imagine how powerful this earthquake is then. But God's presence is not in the earthquake. And then a great fire comes. But God's presence is not in the fire. And in the Bible, as we read, Elijah doesn't flinch. It, it makes no mention of him reacting to any of this. But then a gentle whisper comes. And God's presence is in that whisper, and it moves Elijah. He hides his face. He's moved by the presence of the Lord. Many of us in this room, are hearing God. God's whispers, God's presence is with you. But many of us in this room don't have time to listen. Some of us today have become too busy. Some of us today have become too ashamed, too frustrated, too hurt to approach God. But we must ask ourselves, what is the reason that we pray and fast and seek intimacy with him. It's because he's worth it. Because God's worth it. And you must know, you must believe that it is never too late. You are never too far. You are never too much of a stranger to go back to God. Right? God's word, his presence brings life in darkness. I hope you can believe that today. Amen. I hope that you can believe that if you're in darkness right now, that God will bring light to you. Amen. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it each of us hears them in our native language? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? I had to practice reading this verse out loud. Um, <clears throat> but we see all these nations here. Right? It says all these God-fearing Jews, both those of Jewish heritage and those who converted to Judaism from all over come to the city of Jerusalem. That verse, uh, that verse in verse 5, from every nation under heaven, right there, that's very interesting. Because we we're pretty sure that it's not exactly every single nation in the world, right? This is some hyperbole that's being used by Luke. But that phrasing right there and this list of countries is significant because in this time, Rome made a claim on humanity as the world's power, right? Rome's claim was they were greater than anything. They were all powerful, right? We see a lot of this in the literary works of people like Virgil or Pliny the Elder. Rome was the unstoppable conqueror. Rome was the empire supreme. Glory and power to Caesar. But what Luke is claiming here, what Luke is writing here, is that all these nations, all the nations under heaven, all people will and do declare the wonders of God. Rome is gone, but God is still here. God is greater than any conqueror any empire, any nation. One other thing I'd like you to notice is the confusion that they experience because they hear their language, right? But they're, they're able to recognize that the people are speaking are Galilean, right? So some people might think, oh, like, you know, it's because of the way they're dressed, they could recognize them. Or it's, oh, you know, they just knew they were the disciples of Jesus, and Jesus hung out with Galileans. So maybe that's why. But more likely, it's actually because the Galilean accent was so heavy that although they were speaking a different language, the language was marked with this accent. So if you think about it, it's like if I come to you and I say, Jesus loves you. Right? And I can, I can afford to say that without much difficulty because English is my primary language thing. You know? Eng Jesus loves you. But a Spanish speaker would hear, Jesus te ama. Right? Or um, a Chinese speaker would hear, Yesu aini. Right? Or a Korean speaker would hear, um, oh, I'm going to butcher this. Yesunimun tangshinul sarangamida. You know? <laughs> Something like that. Have grace, please. <laughs> um, but I want you to know that because this accent here is beautiful. God works in collaboration with real people. God works in collaboration with real people who are filled with the Spirit doing their best on His behalf. He doesn't just replace people. He works in collaboration with real people. And God's intimacy comes into play here again. That word native that we see there, we can translate that word into the language in which they were born. Right? They hear the wonder and the glory of God. They hear of Christ's work done in their life, of Christ's love for them in their mother tongue. Right? Not in the language of their conqueror, not in the language of their master, not in the language of their ruler. No, they hear it in the language of the home that they grew up in. They hear of Christ's work in the language of the home they grew up in. God brings the gospel message home to those who hear it every single time. He will find a way to bring the gospel message home to you. And that is what it means to be a prophetic voice. That is what it means to be a prophetic voice. That word prophetic is thrown around a lot, right? We hear about prophets, 
prophetic prayer, prophetic words, prophetic, prophetic, prophetic. It's almost like fortune telling or seeing the future or, you know, we think of like some, like some sort of magic, right? But the prophet's role in the kingdom of God is simply to bring the word of God to God's people. That is the prophet's role, right? That was their function. Their highest function was to do this, bring God's word to God's people so that they could hear it and that they could go back to him, right? So we, as a church now, today, are actually called to be a prophetic voice to the world. Every single one of you in here, you are called to be a prophetic voice in the world, amen? Amen. You must know that. You must know that as a follower of Christ. You are neglecting your duty as a follower of Christ, that great commission, if you are not. We are called to be a prophetic voice to the world. I believe my best friend's wife is a prophet. She heard of a friend of a friend who needed a kidney. Uh, This man, he had polycystic kidney disease which is uh, essentially, from what I understand, it means that so many cysts grow on his kidneys that they eventually lose function. And eventually, essentially what his future was was a life of, uh, dependent on dialysis and maybe even death. So they heard about this, and she and her husband, they prayed and they did some research, and they figured, you know what? Let's go and get tested and see if I get matched. I feel like God is calling me to do this. So they went to Seattle. They got all this testing done, and lo and behold, she's a five antigen match, which essentially, oh, someone said, wow, which essentially means she's as close as a match as it gets. She had a good chance of saving this man's life with her kidney. And this was not met without some opposition. Finances, oh my goodness, finances. They had to figure out how to pay for travel there, where they were going to stay in Seattle because she can't fly right after surgery. There was going to be no income coming from her for the next six weeks. What were they going to do? And on top of that, some of her family and friends, they called her selfish. They called them crazy. They attacked her husband for accusing him of talking her into it. They told them they were betraying the family. They called her unwise and foolish for giving up her kidney at such a young age. It has been a long and tiring process for my friend. But God moves. God moves. Some people donated their homes for their stay in Seattle during the weeks of recovery. Their flights were paid for. Her work gave her paid leave for most of the time that she would be gone. All so that she could deliver this kidney to this man she does not know. This woman, this prophet, she is delivering the very word of God to this man. She is delivering God's word to this man. When this man hears that a stranger felt that God was calling them to donate their kidney to him, the gospel is being brought home. The gospel is literally being placed in his body. Now, You don't have to give a kidney away to be a prophet, right? Spiritual gifts are actually highlighted everywhere in the Bible. Teaching, words of wisdom, encouragement, mercy, administration, leadership, discernment, evangelism, all of these are prophetic action, prophetic words, prophetic preparedness. They all contribute to the mix of delivering the word of God. This Sunday does not happen because I walk up on stage. These chairs don't set themselves. These lights don't come up by themselves. 
This place isn't paid for by itself. Our children are not taught on their own. They're not on their own, thank God, right? We all play a role in this. We are all Christ's hands and feet. As the body, we work together to be a prophetic voice. So I hope and pray that your relationship with the Lord would be so intimate that your heart breaks for what breaks his. And that you would let the Holy Spirit use you as a prophetic voice today. Because he's worth it. And if you don't know where to start, well, let me tell you, there is a severe volunteer shortage across all our ministries. So feel free to sign up for anything. (laughs) Honestly, give it a try. Don't pass up the opportunity to use your gifting. And if you don't know what your gifting is, Pastor David, uh, he talked about MIT. Well, he offers something called a shape class. And that's uh, a test and a seminar which is tailored to helping you find your spiritual gifting. Don't miss up on the opportunity. Please. Some of the crowd in this chapter are amazed. Some sneer and say, they're just drunk. But Peter responds back and says, no, this was a pouring of God's spirit. Verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the blood to moon before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word pour, uh, a better definition or picture of that word pour is think about torrential rainfall on parched earth. The ground is cracked and dry because there's just no rain and then just suddenly torrential rainfall on it. That word pour is a filling and an overflow. Right? And that explains because we all have the Holy Spirit. Right? The moment we believe, the Holy Spirit is, in, is sealed inside of us. Right? The Holy Spirit is living, acting, and moving in each and every single one of us. But this filling that we see here, this pouring, is an overflow of that. Right? And here, Peter takes Joel's prophecy and changes it a little in light of Jesus. Because Joel was talking about this dreadful day of judgment that was coming. Right? But what Peter is talking about is this glorious day that Christ's people are waiting for, that those who are with Christ will prophesy, see vision, dream dreams, and they will see wonders and signs before the great return of their Savior. So this leads me back to our conversation on Pentecost and charismatic gifting. See, I'm not going to tell you where you should stand on charismatic spiritual gifting, but I will share you my perspective. I actually have no experience with uh, miraculous healing, right? Uh, None. I've never seen it with my own eyes. I hear stories. I hear a lot of stories about um, people praying for headaches and people praying for stomach aches and then they go away. But I'm actually the kind of person that thinks, well, did you take Advil? You know? (laughs) When you have a stomach ache, did you take a little Pepto before you prayed? That's just who I am, right? But... I hear a lot of stories from very reliable people about uneven legs being evened out and bent and twisted spines being straightened. I hear about sickness and disease being defeated, right? So when we talk about this and when we set ourselves on this conversation, first and most important, the Bible never says anything about charismatic gifting of the spirit ceasing. Never, not once. So this is something that we should actually be wrestling with. This is something that I still wrestle with. So we should all just, you know, just really wrestle with this constantly. We must also acknowledge that it is explicit in Scripture. God calls us spiritual beings. He calls us his children. We are spiritual building, being, beings. Christ tells us 
that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us, moving, empowering his people. Then we must challenge the lens through which we see the world. A Pew Forum study has found that 61% of Christians live in the global south. Do we have a picture? That red area is the global south. The global south is another word for third world country, but third world country is actually not a very PC term, right? So the, all, the, all the things that we see in red is where 61% of Christians reside. And so while Christianity and the church may be declining in places like North America and Europe, churches in the global south are booming and thriving and growing. We, there are people being saved by the droves. There are actually statistics that are saying, you know, not too far off in the future, there will be missionaries from Africa coming to the States in the name of Christianity. And if you've spoken to missionaries, you hear it a lot. Churches in these places see healings and the supernatural all the time. All the time. And we can't explain why. I don't know why. Right? Maybe it's because that's just how the Spirit equips the church in that stage. Or maybe it's because that's what the needs of those people are, those healings, because they don't have access to well-equipped hospitals, doctors, professionals. They don't have advanced medicine. So then to simply dismiss that these things do not happen because we're not used to them or because mainstream Christianity hasn't told us this, well, that would make your theology very shallow and very narrow-minded. So we've got to wrestle with this. I affirm the charismatic gifts of the Spirit myself, and I believe it all ties back to 1 Corinthians 13. Right? And this goes back to the idea of being poured into and being filled with the Spirit. See, when the Holy Spirit is being poured into you and you are filled with that Spirit, I believe the most evident sign of this is that your heart is made tremendously like Christ's heart. Amen. That your heart is made tremendously like Christ's heart. All the mentions in the Bible of people filled with the Holy Spirit, they have a supernatural love for God and his people. That's what they display. They do different deeds. They, they, they work in different uh, ways, but they all display a supernatural love for God and his people. So when you're filled with the Spirit, we must know that the most important thing is that God will change your heart. Amen. He will grow your capacity to love, and he will teach you to love the unlovable. Love is the primary force in how he operates. My own experience with the gifts of the Spirit actually came to me when I was in college. Um, I had grown up uh, under an abusive father, just an all-in-all -all angry man. I watched him hit my mom. Uh, he hit me. I, he neglected me. And I resented his infidelity. I knew about it. And my, I went on my own spiritual journey, um, and I, I, came, I came to God uh, towards the later years of college. And I started attending church. I started attending prayer meetings there. And I would sit in these prayer meetings for hours, and I would just say, God, change my dad. Change this guy, because he sucks. My dad sucks. Change my dad. I didn't know what else to pray. Change my dad. Make him a normal dad. Standard dad. My, my, my bar's not very high right now. Change my dad. Change his heart. Do something about this, God, please. And during this time, um, I went home on break, and this incident happened. Um, I was in my room, and I heard a garage door slam. Right? My dad's home. He stomps upstairs, goes to his bedroom, slams that door. Opens that door, stomps across the hall, he slams his office door. And I'm in my room, I'm rolling my eyes, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, making such a scene. And finally he stomps over to my room, opens my door, he looks at me, I look him in the eye and he says, hey. I'm like, yeah, what do you want? 
He says, didn't you hear me come home? And I look at him and I say, yeah, I did. And he says, so why didn't you say hi? And in a moment of disgust, I said, because I don't care. This caused him to rage. He cursed our family. He cursed his life and he just walked away. I didn't care. It was a little after this that I learned from my sister that my father is actually the youngest of, I, I believe, nine, nine children. And his older sisters were over 20 years older than he is. So by the time he was born, by the time he was a baby, um, his father was too old to take care of him. He just couldn't handle it. So what they did was they bounced him around his sister's houses. And, you know, they had their own lives. They had children by then. They, they didn't want to deal with this guy. So he bounced around these homes, but he grew up unwanted. My father grew up unwanted. And now he felt like his, his family didn't want him. So I took this. I go back to school, and I'm, I'm back at these prayer meetings, and I actually don't know what to pray at this point. My prayers felt selfish. I felt selfish. So I asked God probably one of the most painful questions I could have ever asked. God, what would you have me do here? What do you want? What is your heart in this situation? And in that moment, like torrential rain on parched ground, the Spirit of God poured into me. The only way I can describe it is that my heart and my spirit felt so heavy for my father that all I could do was weep for him. It was uncontrollable weeping. I wept for him. And I prayed in tongues for the first time. I cried and I groaned and I yelled, but I felt God's heart for my dad in that moment. And for the first time in my life, this man that I villainized, this man that I thought was evil, this man that I thought just wanted to abuse his power, I saw him as a broken man who needed to be loved for the first time ever. So I went back home. Lo and behold, my Mom and my dad, they get into another heated fight. I'm standing between them to make sure nothing happens. You know, he breaks a bunch of things. He makes her cry, and he stomps off. Usually what I do is I comfort my mom, but in that moment, I just moved, and I chased my dad into his office. I chase him there. He's in his office. He's swinging the metal cover of a copy machine. He's breaking stuff. I have to, like, get past that, and I grab him, and I just hold him as tightly as I can. He's struggling against me. He's yelling at me. He's, he's thinking I'm just trying to subdue him. Right? He's like, because you think you're stronger than me now? You can just do this to me? And I was like, Dad, Dad, stop. I love you. I'm so sorry for how I treated you. I love you. And he got so still. I never thought I would ever apologize to that man for what he did. But God changed my heart. And the, for the first time in my life, I delivered God's word to him. When you spend time to be intimate with God, he will give you a word. And if you are faithful to his word, his spirit will pour down on you like torrential rain on parched ground, and he will give you his heart. Amen. You will be made more and more like him, and he will be sure that you are equipped to deliver that word. Will you be a prophetic voice today? Let's pray.
take a moment. And please, pray an honest prayer. Who is someone you cannot forgive? Someone that's hurt you. What is something you're ashamed of? What is something that you want to hide, that you keep in secret? Give it to the Lord and ask him, God, what is your heart for this in this moment? There's no shame too great for him. There's no darkness too dark. He wants to illuminate your life. He wants to bring healing to you. He wants to raise you up. He wants to affirm who you are in him. He knows all your wounds. All the bitterness that you might have. And Christ just says, give it to me. Would you loosen your grip on these things and give it to me? It might be painful at first. But he will pour into you his Holy Spirit. pour into you his his Holy Spirit. You'll be so full. You will overflow. get the sense that there's some in this room that might need healing from a situation, whether it be physical or emotional or whatever it might be. Um, if you want prayer for it right now, um, you don't have to come up or anything, but could you just raise your hand real quick? I see you. You can put your hand down. I see you. You can put your hand down. I see you. You can put your hand down. I see you. You can put your hand down. see you, you can put your hand down. I see you, you can put your hand down. Let's pray together. Father, We lift up these brothers and sisters to you. We ask, Lord, that as they stand before the cross, as they stand before you, Lord, that yes, your hands are open to receive what they have, to carry their burden, burdens that don't belong to them, bitterness that they should not be holding, guilt that is not theirs because you freed them, Lord. You free them, God. But Lord, as sons and daughters, they can hold up their head and look at you in the face and see that your face, you cry for them and you smile upon them because they give you so much joy, Lord. Would you heal these brothers and sisters of mine, Lord? Would you heal your sons and daughters, Lord? Would you fill them with your spirit, Lord God? God, let your manifest presence reign in this place.
Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your communication card, please take it out and flip it over. Uh, There's some next steps I'd like you to go through. The first is I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. This is great news for us. This is the best news for us. And if this is a step that you're taking, um, there's a table out there specifically for you. Please go out there. Uh, There would be someone to answer your questions, pray with you, take you through this. This is awesome. And we're so glad that you're doing this. The second is I will take intimacy with God seriously by joining and committing to a small group. Now, as you heard from Pastor David and Pastor Mike, small groups are like smaller church communities that you can actually get to know people, right? Get deeper in your relationships and just do life together. Right? They're waiting for you. Um, Please join. Please try it out. I, I, I really believe you won't be disappointed. Next is I will take time to ask God where he might be calling to be a prophetic voice. This could be your family, your friends, whoever it might be. Someone needs your voice. Pray to God about it. Ask him where he's calling you to. The fourth is I will pray about where I can serve in my church community. As I mentioned before, there is a severe lack of volunteers at our church and there are many opportunities to be a prophetic voice here to our children, to the breakdown and setup team, to the spiritual formation team. There's just so many ways in which we need people to use their gifting. So please check that out. And finally, I will read Acts 2, 22 to 41. Uh, next week, Pastor Peter will be preaching a powerful message on this passage. And this isn't part of the comm cards, but if you're single, so single means you're not married, right? So if you're dating or you're engaged, you're still considered, considered single. Uh, please go outside to that registration table and sign up for the singles retreat. Uh, single parents, there will be babysitting for your children for the whole retreat, so you don't have to worry about them. But Kevin Butcher is flying in from Detroit, and he's going to be speaking at this retreat. He's spoken here once before and at our family retreat, and it's very powerful. So you don't want to miss on that. Um, it'll be a powerful and intimate time with God.